0: The scripture this morning is from the book of Micah, Micah chapter 6. If you have a pew Bible, which are located underneath your seats, if you have a pew Bible, it's on page 779. This is Micah chapter 6. If you don't have a pew Bible, the table of contents is there to be used. In the book of Micah, we have a book where God is bringing a lawsuit against Israel. God is bringing some charges against his people because his people appear to be Religious on the outside, but on the inside, it's proven that they're unrepentant. So God is bringing them to court and charging Israel with several accounts of unrepentant disobedience. So in Micah chapter six, let's take a listen now into the proceedings because it ain't pretty. This is Micah chapter six, verses one through eight. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O oh, my people, remember what Bala, king of Moab, devised and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. And what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? This morning, I plan to answer a few questions regarding mercy. But there's one question I have for you that I can't answer. And that's this. Are you a merciful person? In preparation for this sermon, I asked the junior high Sunday school class last week for some help on my sermon. Some pastors ask Calvin for help. I ask junior high students for help. And I asked them to define mercy. What does it look like to be a merciful person? And so they had really good responses, as always. And they said things like, giving someone a second chance showing compassion one student said not being a jerk (laughs) being kind caring about others and so i asked them a follow-up question do you see this kind of behavior in your areas of life do you see people being merciful to one another so we first started with school do you see it at school and there was an immediate response of no One student said, for some crazy reason, people at school think being mean is cool. So I said, okay, what about church? And they said, well, a little bit because you kind of feel obligated to do it at church. So I said, okay, what about hanging out with your friends? Are people merciful to one another? And they said, rarely. Most of the time you're spending giving your friends a hard time, right? Right. And then lastly, I said, okay, what about at home? And this one was met with laughter and an emphatic no with exclamation points. Not a chance at home. So then I asked the last question to them, well, why why don't you think there's much mercy being shown to one another in our lives? And we could, you know, we could think about our workplaces. We could think about our neighborhoods. Uh, Why Why isn't mercy being shown to one another? And one student piped up, Because people are selfish and sinners. I guess we could end the sermon there. But we won't. I think the only thing they missed or they that they didn't include in their definition or their discussion of mercy is the object of mercy. Who are we to show compassion to? Who are we to show kindness towards? And the object of mercy, specifically mercy, is always the needy the poor, the weak, the helpless. So it's showing compassion towards the helpless. And we know from scriptures that it's so clear that we all need mercy because we all are needy, poor, helpless, weak. We are. And that if you've received God's compassion towards you, you are considered privileged. His privileged people, because we didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. But God, out of his kindness, showed compassion to somebody weak and needy like Devon Khan. So this morning, we are called to be merciful. And I think one reason we aren't merciful in general and some of you are, by the way, some of you are very merciful and keep being merciful. Um, I was very convicted throughout the, the studies here of, of my own great capacity to be uncompassionate towards the needy. And so if you're merciful, see this sermon as an encouragement to keep doing what you're doing. But if you're like me, and and obviously all of us struggle with being merciful to one degree or another, I think one of the reasons we aren't as merciful as we should is because we are very self-centered and Madison, Ridgeland, Jackson, Mississippi, we are very family-centered. When the Bible calls us to be God-centered and neighbor-centered. And so I think it's a combination of a lack of the knowledge of scriptures and a combination of us just not doing the scriptures. Because, right, you and I would both agree that mercy is a good thing, that mercy should be done. But oftentimes, we treat mercy as an elective, as something that's really good if you have time for it, but you can easily opt out of it if it doesn't quite fit into your lifestyle. But this morning, from the text, we are going to see one thing, and that's this. God requires requires his privileged people to love mercy. Not just do mercy because I feel guilty. Not just feel obligated to do mercy out of a sense of, well, I feel bad, I have really good food on the table and others don't. But out of a sense that we are privileged people. Not just doing mercy, God calls us to love mercy. God is after our hearts here. He's not just about our behavior here. Our heart will lead to right behavior. He calls us to love mercy. So God requires his privileged people to love mercy. So how does a Christian go about loving mercy? Not just doing mercy, that's hard enough, but loving mercy. Two things. First, we must remember God's mercy towards us. And second, we must respond with God's mercy towards others. So first, we must remember God's mercy towards us. After God calls out Israel for their unrepentant disobedience, after he calls his people out for what they're doing, he then refers to his own righteous record, his own faithful record, his own mercy in verses 3 through 5. So let's read that again. This is chapter 6 verses 3 through 5. He says, O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you from the land of Egypt. And I redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised. And what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. And what happened from Shittim to Gilgal. That you may know the saving acts of the Lord. In verse 3, God asked Israel a question that you and I would ask somebody if they were repeatedly wronging us. You would ask them, what have I done to you to deserve this? What have I done to you for for you to act this way towards me? And I don't know if the people were in silence and with no chance to, and just kind of terrified at this point, or maybe they didn't have an answer, or maybe God, it was a rhetorical question, but God answers his own question. He asked him, what have I done to you? I'll tell you what I've done for you. I got you out of Egypt. I freed you from slavery. And after I got you out of Egypt, I didn't leave you there. I didn't leave you to yourself. No, I was with you after Egypt, even though you didn't deserve it. I provided you with incredible leaders to guide you. And in verse five, God continues answering his question, What have I done to you? I'll tell you what I've done for you. I used the prophet Balaam, who the king Balak was going to use to curse you, and I prevented that from happening. I prevented you from being cursed. That's what I've done for you. And not only did I prevent this prophet Balaam from cursing you, I used the king's prophet against him to bless you. That's what I've done for you. So remember, remember what I've done for you. Why did God do all of this for Israel? Because God is rich in mercy. And he chose to have compassion on Israel. He chose to have compassion on the least of these. He chose to have compassion on those who are least numerous and least impressive. He set his affection because he's merciful on those who are weak. And you can just hear the love he has for his people. This is not... a a, a rejection a total outright rejection of his people oh my people that phrase oh my people you can hear the love jumping off the pages god is merciful and he shows mercy to those he wants to show mercy israel didn't deserve mercy before egypt and they certainly didn't deserve mercy after egypt but they got lots of mercy we must remember God's mercy towards us. We must bring to mind. We must think about such things. We must recall what the Lord has done. We must replay it in our minds over and over, lest we forget. In verse 5, God commands the Israelites, O oh my people, remember. It's a command to remember not a suggestion and it's even it's even more so remember now in this moment this morning this sunday morning remember what god has done for you because they are living in such a way that clearly they have forgotten you know why god showed you and i mercy those who have been bought with the precious blood of christ you know why god has showed you and i mercy was it because you already were a merciful person and, have, and, he, and you just love to be merciful to people? That's not why. That's not why he showed his mercy to you. Was it because he knew with just a little love and a little leading and a little prompting that you would become this amazingly merciful person and that's why he showed his compassion to you? That's not it either. So then why did he bestow mercy upon you? He did it because he wanted to. And for no other reason. Despite your unmerciful way of life. He set his affection on you because of his mercy. But he sets his steadfast love on self-indulgent, self-consumed and self-centered people like you and me. And we must remember this or else we will not be merciful people. One of the things I enjoy most about life is sitting around with friends or family and just taking a stroll, a walk down memory lane with them. Um, whether and you share stories, and some stories you look back on with great joy. And some stories you look back on with great trepidation and great anxiety and great regret. And as you're telling the story or somebody's telling the story about you in a group of setting, you all experience it all over again, those who were there. Whether it's a really funny story or a crazy story or a terrible story, you, you, get, to, you get to relive it. You get to smile all over again if it's a good story. You get to laugh if it's a funny story all over again. Something that's happened 20 years ago, you are busting out laughing in the present. Why? Why? because you tell the story you remember you remember what it was like to be there you relive it and it's and it's like it was new you get to you get to experience it all over again as christians god has given us a way to remember the scriptures god has given us a way to read about the story to read about our bad to read about our good, to to see how terrible it was and to see how good it is and to to read the story of how sinful we are and to grimace all over again about our sin. To to mourn, to be embarrassed, to be ashamed, to, to feel the guilt all over again, to experience that all over again so that we may experience the joy and the laughter and the singing of experiencing His mercy towards us. He's given us a way to remember And if we just look at it once a week, we'll forget. If we just look at it every once in a while, if we just take a stroll down memory lane once in a while, we won't live as if we remember. We'll live as if we have forgotten our sin nature and God's merciful nature. After all, Jesus left the riches of heaven And came down to earth knowing full well the pain, the difficulty, and poverty he was going to experience. And he came down for one reason. He came for the sick. He came for those who are weak and couldn't take care of themselves. And so as God's people, we have been on the receiving end of this incredible mercy. And so we, the needy. Are privileged because we have received divine compassion. We, the weak, are privileged because we have received God's kindness. We, the poor in spirit, have received tender care from the Almighty. We are the unworthy recipients of God's kindness, and we have to remember that. And so Micah fully recognizes here God's mercy towards his people. And God commands, in verse 5, to remember. And he also expects us to be merciful in return. And so second, we must respond with God's mercy towards others. Look at verses 6 through 8 again. The people have heard the charges and they respond here in verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? saw God's point here. (laughs) They understood that they were in the wrong, that they were guilty. They understood that by their response because God made a pretty convincing case against them with no room for doubt, no room for argument. And so the Israelites, as any good businessman would do, they take out their checkbook and they say, all right, God, how much is it going to take for this to go away? How much is it going to take for this guilt that i'm i'm clearly have to go away so we can just move on we can get rid of this situation and we can go back to living our lives the way we were how much god is a is a year old calf going to work and maybe god was silent maybe they just went to the next offer and in the negotiations you hear silence on the other end you're like oh clearly that's not going to do it I'm going to have to give you thousands of rams, they say. Will thousands of rams work, God? Is that what it's going to take to get rid of this and move on with my life? And By the way, thousands of rams is only an offer that kings could give. So it wasn't really in their power to give thousands of rams. But you see the progression here. They start with a calf, a year old, which is seen as a very great offering. And they up their offer to a thousand rams. And maybe silence was on the other end again. And they said, oh, that's not going to do. How about 10,000 rivers of oils? Well, nobody could give that offer. Not even kings. So the outlandish offer here shows that they just want to, they just want to get out of it. And they're willing to do anything they can to go on with their lives. And they even offer their firstborn son. A practice, a pagan practice that is detestable to God. And God responds like this. He says, guys, Israelites, guys, I've already told you what I want from you. Don't you know? I've already told you. Have you forgotten? I've already told you what I require of you. And it's to do justice, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And the reason why he can say that, and the reason why we say, oh, yeah, he has told them is because if you look back in Deuteronomy, the Mosaic law, the law, God says in Deuteronomy chapter 10, you don't have to turn that. I'll just read it. And now Israel, what does the Lord God require of you but to fear the Lord your God? To walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. That's what's required of you. Not these bribes. Not these half-hearted, let me just get out of this situation. And in verse 17, it goes on in Deuteronomy. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner or the foreigner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. So we must remember God's mercy towards us. Therefore, as a response, we must show God's mercy to others. And so in verse 8, we know what's required of us because this is just a repeat. To love kindness, the ESV puts it. The King James says to love mercy. The Holman Christian says to love faithfulness. So there's a little bit of, I guess, confusion over what We should love here. Uh, But the Hebrew word is hesed. And usually when you run into hesed, uh, it's usually about God's covenantal love, faithfulness towards his people. But sometimes it's referred to the love we are to have to one another. And in this case, that's what's happening. It's the love we are to have to one another. And when that's the case, mercy is involved. Mercy is involved. And so I think it's fair to say we ought in this scripture alone to love mercy. But obviously there are other scriptures to back that up too. We are to love showing kindness to people. Let me tell you a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him. And departed leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. This is the story Jesus tells to the lawyer who asks him two questions. The lawyer asks him two questions. One, Jesus, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus says, don't you know the law? How do you read the law? He says, well, to love God with all my heart and to love my neighbor as myself. Jesus says, correct. Now go do it. And it says the lawyer trying to justify himself, almost trying to find a loophole or trying to find a way to prove himself, uh, says, well, well, how would you define a neighbor, Lord? Who's my neighbor? So Jesus tells him this story, and he ends with, who in this story is a neighbor? And they all respond, well, the good Samaritan. The good Samaritan acts as the neighbor that God requires. He's the only one, not the priest, not the Levite. But the good Samaritan is the only one who shows compassion on the broken, on the needy. And in this story, we see that one very practical and powerful way to love our neighbor, one very practical and powerful way to show, to show love to the people around us is to be merciful to them. To be merciful to our friends, to our enemies, as this story talks about. To foreigners, as this story talks about, and to strangers. Tim Keller wrote a book on mercy, one of his first books, if not his first, called Ministries of Mercy, The Call of the Jericho Road. It's a great book. Uh, in, In preparing for the sermon, it helped me a lot understand and be convicted of my own unmerciful way. Uh, and so when I looked up some books on Mercy, that one came up and I as I often do when I look up books on Amazon, I look at the reviews. So I scroll down and in the first review, uh, the person really liked the book so it was four or five stars uh, and the username was Puritan fan, of course. And one thing that he said in his review, which I thought was personally very convicting that I want to share here, is this he says in his review on the book on, you know, showing mercy and loving mercy. He says this. Why do most reformed churches have only the mind of Christ, but not his heart? Why are you more likely to find a liberal believer than a reformed one involved in a homeless shelter? Why are reformed believers the most likely to know the story of the Good Samaritan, but not be the good Samaritan. Mercy is hard. Mercy costs us emotion, physical exertion, time, energy, money. And obviously we can't help everyone in need. And so it'd be very easy to leave this morning and say, the need is too great. I can't do anything, and so I'm not going to do anything. Instead, do something. That's the biblical call here. Do something. As an individual or as a family, pick a ministry to the poor or to the weak or to the outcast in our society and show them compassion. But just don't don't go from here and pick one really quickly out of a sense of this awful guilt and say, oh, we're just going to start. Completely living differently and changing our life and not live in our house anymore. Don't make these rash judgments, but, but spend time as a family. as an individual talking and praying about, as a family, um, one of the things Keller points out is you want to have three things going for you before you pick a ministry to help out with. You want to make sure that you have a desire to work with them, a desire for that group of people that you love them and you want to help them, a desire, also an ability. You want to have a gift set that matches your desire. And then thirdly, an opportunity. And so as a family, don't just rush to judgment out of guilt and help out. No, pick one that as a family or as an individual that you desire, that you're able and that you have the opportunity to. So are you a merciful person? Because God requires his privileged people to love mercy. I've tried to answer three questions this morning about mercy. First, what does mercy look like? It looks like compassion to the needy. What's mercy got to do with me? The bottom line is the Bible says receivers will be givers. And if you aren't a giver, then it's clear from the Bible that you haven't received yet. If you aren't a giver, it's evidence that you haven't received God's mercy towards you. Because God's mercy is the only motivation. It's not guilt. It's the only motivation that will, be, that will last and will be a rightful motivation for compassion towards the weak. We must remember God's mercy towards us. And lastly, where do I begin? Well, first, any time that you're called out for a a lack of obedience, and in this case, a, a uh, a way of unmercy or an unmerciful way of life, is to repent. That's what God wanted from the Israelites in Micah 6. He wanted them to repent. He wanted them to cry out and say, Lord, forgive us. He wanted their hearts. So if you've been called out this morning, repent, that's where you begin. And what does repentance look like in this situation? Repentance looks like turning away from a life of comfort and turning towards a life of compassion towards the needy. That's what repentance looks like. So repent. And the good thing about preaching is, on Mercy Sunday, is that there are actually very tangible next steps for you in the bulletin, in the Mercy Week insert. So look at that and decide as a family, what would, you, what would, what would excite you? What would you be able to do and, and, and look at those opportunities because they're there. And that's just a great place to start. So this Saturday, come out as an individual or as a family. It will cost you money. A life of mercy will cost you money, time, energy, and emotions. But that's exactly where the Lord wants us to spend those things. I think there's truth in what the Puritan fan said in his review. And I think it's an opportunity for us to look in the mirror and evaluate our own life of mercy. Because instead of doing mercy, I find myself coming up with all sorts of excuses. And maybe you do the same. I want to read a quote from a B.B. Warfield sermon where he addresses both the objections or the excuses, but also answers them in his sermon. He says this Objection one, my money is my own. Answer, Christ might have said, My blood is my own, my life is my own. Then where should we have been? Objection number two, the poor are undeserving. Answer, Christ might have said, they are wicked rebels. Shall I lay down my life for these? I'll give to those good angels. But no, he left the 99 and came after the loss. He gave his blood for the undeserving. Objection three. The poor may abuse it. Answer. Christ might have said the same. Ye with far greater truth. Christ knew thousands would trample his blood under their feet, that most would despise it, that many would make an excuse for sinning more, yet he gave his own blood. Oh, my dear Christians, if you would be like Christ, give much, give often, give freely to the vile and poor, the thankless and the undeserving. Christ is glorious and happy, and so will you be. It's not your money I want, but your happiness. Remember his word. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So may Highlands be known not for simply knowing the story of the Good Samaritan, but may Highlands be known for being the Good Samaritan in our community. Because God has told you, O people, what is good. And what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Let's pray. God, we adore you because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still unmerciful, Christ died for us. God, we confess of of our uncompassionate nature. We confess that we are often like the unmerciful servant we see in scriptures that has been on the receiving end of so much mercy from the king. But yet we don't extend that mercy to a fellow man. Oh God, we confess that we are an unmerciful people, so help us. We thank you for giving us a way to remember the Scriptures. Thank you for giving us a new heart with new desires to be unselfish, to be God-centered and not neighbor-centered. Lord, we know from Scripture we are to care for our own family. And so may we not neglect that. But, Lord, you also tell us in your Scriptures to care for others around us, the strangers the enemies, the foreigners, the friends. So, Lord, we need your help. Left up to ourselves, we will not get this right. So, Holy Spirit, intervene in our hearts. Soften our hearts towards others' needs. Help us to carry out your requirements as God's beloved children to love mercy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.